Hey, it's Andrew. I hope you're all having a merry festive season and happy holidays. Today on Churn FM, we have Carl Gold, Chief Data Scientist at Zora, and the author of the upcoming book, Fighting Churn with Data. We talked about why Carl decided to write a book about fighting churn with data, why small companies need to determine the correct metrics in their journey to fight churn effectively, and how you can find the right metrics inside your product. We also discussed why churn and retention should revolve around providing value, why using AI and machine learning to predict churn can be ineffective, and some case study examples of how companies fight churn by focusing on the right metrics. Since it's the holiday season, we also have a special gift for this episode. We'll choose five lucky listeners to get early access to the first chapters of Carl's upcoming book and a copy of it once it's completed. All you have to do is share this episode on Twitter and we'll do a random draw to choose the five winners. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter so we can send you a message if you're the winner. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode and if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Now enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. How do you build a habit for product? You need to invest. And you saw these, these different... Don't just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Carl. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Andrew. Glad to be here. It's great to have you today. For the listeners, uh, Carl is the Chief Data Scientist at Zora and author of the book, Fighting Churn with Data. Zora creates cloud-based software on a subscription basis that enables any company in any industry to successfully launch, manage, and transform into a subscription business. Carl is also the creator of the Subscription Economy Index and responsible for data science behind Zora Subscriber Insights. He has a PhD from California Institute of Technology and authored publications on machine learning and neuroscience. Prior to Zora, Carl spent most of his post-academic career on Wall Street as a quantitative analyst. So my first question for you, Carl, is what is it about churn that interests you enough to write a book about how to fight churn with data? Well, um, it was a, it's a little bit of a circumstantial uh, thing, just that I've worked on churn so much over the years, I felt like Honestly, I had made so many mistakes in the early years as a data scientist when I was trying to work on churn. And now I feel like I've actually learned how to do it properly. And I just look back and think, man, if I could have told myself five years ago what I should have been doing, it would have been great. <laughs> so that's why I want to write a book to you know, help other people um, kind of avoid the mistakes that I made and of course, you know, do a great job with churn because it's obviously a really pressing problem for so many 
many, many companies and, and products nowadays. Absolutely. And I think as well, like a lot of people see it as a problem, but also when you see the flip side of retention, it's actually a huge opportunity and it's probably one of your biggest like drivers for growth. Um, so today for the listeners, we actually have a special treat. Uh, so Carl will be giving away five of his books um, after the show. Uh, and what we'd like to do is just encourage anybody listening to the episode, if you'd be interested in grabbing a copy of this book, and obviously we'll dive into details now as we get dive into the show, uh, make sure to share this episode on Twitter, and then we'll be pulling out uh, those tweets and uh, having a random draw for those five books uh, for those who ever share this episode within the next couple of weeks. So we'll be doing the draw in two weeks from this episode airing. Uh, so, yeah, so you mentioned like it, it happened to be circumstantial as well. And uh, I know um, you did a PhD and was on machine learning and neuroscience. I think you did neural networks is, was your PhD. Is that correct? Well, somewhat my PhD thesis was really in a biological or biophysical modeling. So realistic modeling of neurons, not for AI, but for neuroscience uh, and understanding. Um, but I was in uh, an interdisciplinary program at Caltech where we spent a lot of time doing machine learning and brain science uh, together. Very interesting. So I'm pretty sure you probably read Ray Kurzweil. Is it Ray Kurzweil who wrote... Uh... Yeah, the, the mind. Yeah, and don't don't get me started on the, the neuroscience stuff because yeah. I'm actually really skeptical about those claim, kind of claims because yeah. I I spent time actually studying brains and working with brain implant technology and I would never take one of those things in my brain. Absolutely not. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I think it is very futuristic. It's a totally yeah. different topic, <laughs> but yeah, I was just interested, yeah. like going from going from that and studying uh, sort of the brain itself, and then moving into sort of a career on Wall Street, and then uh, like circumstantially ending up focusing in like subscription. Well, How I did don't know. Maybe I shouldn't say it's just a circumstance. It's really just the trend of the times because I started working on a churn problem. Uh, something like five years ago, when a friend asked me, you know, about a startup. Yeah. relating to a startup that he was involved in. And then since then, you know, and coming to Zora, it's just a problem for more and more people. And so I became, you know, at Zora, obviously we have so many customers who are, you know, have, they all have subscription companies and they're all very concerned about churn. So through my work here is how I got to, um, you know, work on so many different churn studies with different customers to give me enough knowledge to write the book but yeah. it's really just a sign of the times you know that i mean sure. i'm in a way the person in the right place at the right time but it's just an overwhelming trend that everyone's concerned about churn but i think your point was really good about you should see it as an opportunity because it's about the glass half full versus half empty when you're trying to reduce churn you're really trying to increase the customer engagement and satisfaction with your product yeah. So one of the main themes of the book is how you use the information that you collect about churns to sh find what are the most engaging uh, aspects of your product. Excellent. And that's what I want to dive into a little bit deeper now as well. So uh, you've given us a, a slight overview of what the book's about, but maybe you want to just give us a little bit more of a synopsis uh, quick so we can dive into a few aspects of it. Sure, let me hear, here's how I can explain it with, well, my own story, yeah. is that when I started doing um, 
churn analyses. I had the, the, I mean, I was trained as a data scientist, you know, I had a machine learning background. So when you're that, when you're trained that way, you think the answer to everything is to make a predictive uh, AI model or like a machine learning model. But I had a lot of failures in getting any traction, you know, doing that kind of analyses for companies. Because what would happen is I'd make, you know, some kind of predictive AI model, and then no one would really use it. Because what I learned is different about churn from other problems that people apply AI to is that there's no one size fits all solution to churn. Um, so if you think about an AI problem like, you know, spam emails or something, if you detect a spam email, you know, you put it in the spam folder and you're done. But if you think someone is at risk of churn because of your, you know, your prediction, well, what do you do? There's a lot of different ways to reduce churn and you need to, you know, use an appropriate one uh, for each customer. So that I realized was why no one wanted a predictive model that just said who's going to churn. What they really need is to know the details about customers in a way that they can use it to, to drive action. So, so what I found yeah. people what really do, I mean, people, we can talk in a minute about, you know, how people are fighting churn. I'm sure you've covered it in other podcasts. But what I found is that people in companies are really using customer metrics to to segment customers for churn. They'll look at you know, some metric of their customer and say, oh, these people are not at risk and you know, these people are at risk. But what I found was that a lot of times the customer metrics that companies were using were not really well designed for this purpose. Um, as like a data science person, you would, I would typically get the customer metrics that would be the input to the predictive model but then I would discover, hey, those customer metrics were not that good in the first place, and no one's really using the predictive model, so maybe I should focus on making better customer metrics. So that's actually the main theme of the book, is how to use your data about churn to make really great customer metrics. Um, that really, and a really great customer metric is going to really be associated with the value that people receive on the product. So when you segment customers via a great metric, you really, you really are segmenting them into the groups based on how much value they receive. And then those kind of metrics can be used to make you know, your interventions to reduce churn you know, more data-driven. Absolutely. Yeah, I think what you're saying, uh, it makes total sense. And it's definitely something like I've come into and been guilty of in the past is like thinking that a churn prediction model is sexy. But then when you really think about it, what are the actual use cases of it uh, is mostly really trying to save accounts that are already at risk um, as opposed to and it's very reactionary. So uh, like you can only really act on it after the fact as opposed to really understanding like what are those key drivers and key inputs that are going into that that you can actually try and encourage and work towards. So you mentioned these company and customer metrics, like what do you advise is like a typical process then for a company or really trying to get a grasp on this and really trying to understand what they should be tracking to move the needle on churn, which is a lagging metric. But how do you, you suggest they go about really trying to understand what these metrics should be? Well, okay. How, I, how to go about it is really, you know, start in chapter two of the book <laughs> and work your way through, but I'll try to, you know, put it in a nutshell. I mean, the, the, the techniques I 
teach, assume that you're already tracking interactions with the customers. Um, and that's, it's not really covered by the book because that's a technology, you know, you, yeah. it, you can buy, you can buy that from many different companies, you know, things that will allow you to track. Um, and I want to also clarify that when I say tracking, I'm talking about usage of the product, not, you know, track stalking people on the internet. Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so everything I talk about does not involve personal information at all. It's only involves watching and measuring. It's really measuring your own product right? How many people are coming to each page if it's a website? How many people are using each feature um, if it's a SaaS tool? Or how many people are watching each video? Or, you know, if you're a streaming video service. Um, and so those are your basic events that you should be tracking. And in that case, the most important events for tracking, it's different for every co company because it always has to be the events that are most closely associated with getting value. Um, and that's different on every product. I mean, there are some gener general, general statements you can make. Um, for example, I mean, logins are almost always one of the weakest uh, measures of engagement because, well, if someone logs in, they haven't accomplished anything, right? You really want to track what do people actually accomplish on your product. And if it's you know, if your product is for making documents, you might track document creation. If it's for, say, streaming media, you get into this thing, well, watching a, a video is like a good event to track, but even better would be completing a video because that means the person actually, you know, liked it. And then if, if you track likes, then tracking likes of videos would be even better. So all those different events and interactions you can track form the foundation uh, for what, uh, for what comes after. Does that part make sense so far? Absolutely. I, I think it's something we kind of answer the question. Yep. It definitely does. I think like early on, we interviewed Heidi Gibson from GoDaddy and I love what you touched on now is really about measuring value. And I think in some cases it's really obvious and really easy to do. You know, if somebody is coming to YouTube, for example, to watch a video, like if they've watched the video, the value is clear there. For other startups, though, it's not as clear cut as well. I think like, um, for example, a website builder like GoDaddy itself is uh, one thing. Yes, it's you want to build a website so that you can say, okay, once you built the website, um, that's just achieved part of the goal. But really, you're not building a website to have a website. You're building a website to drive sales or to do close bookings. or um, yep. And really, it's sort of the end goal and the end value. And the closer you can get to measuring and tracking the actual value that your customers receive from your product, obviously, the most powerful it's going to be in terms of a predictor of if people are going to stick around or not. Yeah, absolutely. So some products, it's going to be easier than others. Um, so... It's a good example, you know, the website builder, you know, GoDaddy or any company like that, you know, creating a website is one thing and you would want to track that. But then also great metrics for customer churn would also be the website traffic, you know, how much, how many people come. And if you can even measure transactions, you know, then that would be the holy grail. But exactly. not, a, not every system is going to allow you to directly measure the value that customers receive that way. Yeah. Um, but with the, you know, using the techniques of analysis, basically what I show you is you can turn almost any measure of customer behavior into um, a measure of customer health. 
simply because what you almost always find um, is that the more customers you know do different behaviors, you'll you'll see a relationship to churn that usually plateaus. So it's pretty easy to see what the healthy state is. Yeah. Um, so almost any metric will can become an indicator of customer health. But then you have to remember, okay, is this metric really directly causing engagement or is it just correlated with engagement? So, I mean, this is a, the question of correlation versus causation uh, is well known. Um, there's no escaping it. <laughs> yeah. But but you can work around it is the thing. I mean that the book I really don't dwell on that at all because you can use the, the important thing in metrics for churn. I mean here are the important things that you need. What I think to make a customer metric really great, um, it should be really related to retention and churn, and you should be able to see it in your data pretty easily using the techniques in the book. A great customer metric. It also needs to allow targeted interventions. Um, by the people who are trying to reduce churn. So that it should allow people to you know, segment customers into healthy and unhealthy groups for the purpose of interventions. Um, the metrics have to be easy to understand because generally it's not gonna be a data scientist or you know, a technical person trying to reduce churn. It's people in marketing and customer support. We'll say more about that in a minute. Um, well, that's actually the last point actually about you know, good customer metrics a great customer metrics is if more than one department can use it. So for example, actually a good example is, you know, churn forecasting or churn prediction. Um, the risk of churn is a good metric, but it's really only appropriate, I think, for one department, which is like a customer success function. Because yeah. they're the ones who are going to you know, reach out to a customer who's in trouble. So naturally they could use a metric of, you know, who's in trouble. Yeah. But customer metrics aren't, the type interventions I advocate aren't just those kind of one-on-one um, -on -one interventions. I mean, it doesn't have to be reactive. It could be like, you know, it is kind of proactive if you reach out to them. But the thing is before even the customer, you should think about the product because the best way I think and I know you've, you've said similar things on your other podcasts, um, but the best way to reduce churn is to have a better product or a, you know, a great product. Yeah. And you can, you can use the, the customer metrics um, that I'm talking about to really figure out in a data-driven way, you know, what are your best features and who's using them, um, who's not using them, uh, which is, so then you can make look-alike features, or you might just want to, if you figure out one feature is really driving engagement, you might want to make it more prominent, you know, make it easier to find if it's not already easy to find. But then when it comes to people who aren't using your great features, that's where your marketing department should get involved. And they should be sending out um, occasionally uh, campaigns to make sure that people know about all your great features. I mean, talking, so I'm talking about campaigns to your customers, not for sales. So this is marketing, uh, working on, you know, like a customer success project. Yeah. Um, and, but when you send a campaign to um, get people using the great features, you don't just want to spam everyone who has a high churn risk. You really want to target the people who aren't using the feature. So that's, the, we're back to the, exam, you know, the churn risk forecast 
it's not usable really by the other departments. It's only usable in customer success, which is still good. You know, so I'm not completely trashing it. I'm just saying a really great customer metric, more than one department, you know, would see a use for it. So yeah. And that definitely makes a lot of sense, uh, I think, because I think there was, I was alluding to at the beginning when I mentioned uh, in terms of the churn model, the team that's most useful is going to be the customer success because they can then go in and try and save the account. What would be like sort of the alternating view then on that uh, and would be a metric that would potentially be uh, scaled across the team? Would you think about looking potentially like a retention prediction model? Uh, is that something you've looked into or do you find that it comes to the same sort of conclusion? No, it, I mean, no, it really comes down, I think, to, you know, good or great metrics. And if you just take a simple metric, like, let's say, you know, let's say your product, uh, I mean, is for, you know, editing documents or something like that, or different kinds of documents. I don't know, I'm just making up an example off the cuff. Um, if you have just a metric of, you know, how many documents per month a customer is making, like in different types, then once you do the analysis that I show in the book, you can easily see what's a healthy level for each type of document. Maybe it's like 20 documents a month is where customers look healthy on that metric. Well, so then you know, you know what you're driving to for um, the, the marketing and engagement campaigns. And also the customer success team has a clear goal too. Because if you tell the customer success team, oh, these counts are at risk of churn, right? Well, then they're like, okay, what do I do for these accounts? So you're just back to the same question. You need metrics with a known kind of level of health, a known, you know, point, a known target for, I need to come up with a better term for this, <laughs> but <laughs> I think you get where I'm going. For sure. Um, so usually, I mean, the churn risk forecast can be good, but it's always in combination with other things that will tell you how to act with that particular customer or what group or not, well, you'll segment the customers. You'll almost never do anything, you know, one by one, but you'll segment the customers in a group that could benefit from a certain kind of treatment. You know, maybe, uh, maybe a class, you know, it could be like, you know, some kind of webinar on how to use the product better. Yeah. You know, I think as well, like the thing with the churn prediction side of things is it really looks to try and find and identify the behaviors of users that are about to churn or that are at risk of churning as opposed to again like going back to the the alternate view of really focusing on what are the actions and key actions that users are taking that are retaining and sticking around uh, because when you think about sort of like churn as an output metric and it's definitely a lagging indicator and uh, right. like actions you take today could only be seen maybe six twelve months from now like it's really about understanding what are those input metrics. And I think that's what you're alluding to in terms of like the, the value side of things with figuring out like 20 documents um, and pushing yeah. towards that. Well, there's an important trick with that actually that's, that I teach in the book and I'll explain it as best I can in the podcast. Uh, you mentioned like, you know, churn is a lagging indicator. So one of the key techniques I advocate and teach in the book is that you actually pair um, observation of churn with observation of the customer from a time before the actual churn took place. Because typically, if you think about it, if you look at a customer like the day before they cancel, their behavior has already changed, right? They might have stopped doing using many features 
um, and maybe only using a few features that are relevant right before they quit. So yeah. if you have a pattern like that, it would actually make it easy to predict who is going to churn on the day before they quit, but by then it's too late. So the trick is actually when you do these analyses is to pair the observation of the churn with metrics from a time significantly before the churn. Well, and the time before depends on the product type. If it's a monthly product, you know, month to month, then you would probably look at, you know, the metrics right after the last renewal or maybe one week after their last payment and three weeks or four weeks before their next payment. And then you would observe customers, you know, three weeks out and then look three weeks later who actually churns. And that helps to control for that, you know, lagging nature of the churn. For a product with annual subscriptions, like a SaaS product for businesses, and this is how we do it at Zora, we, uh, you look at the customers typically around three months before the renewal, and that's the metrics that you're looking at. Um, so hopefully that three months before renewal is a time when the customers haven't made up their mind yet. They're still, you know, evaluating before their next renewal. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a technique. It's really kind of a trick, but I mean, just a, you know, a technique to make your, your analysis more about the leading indicators of churn. Uh, although you can never perfectly, you know, control for that problem. Interesting. So, so what you're saying then, just so I get to understand this clearly. So if we take the scenario of B2B SaaS and you uh, mostly yearly plans, you're taking a look at the yearly, at the behavior that they show three months before that renewal is about to happen. Uh, yep. And then are you looking at those that churned and those that didn't and comparing the, the differences between the two? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the essence of the method. Um, yeah, look a, look a good time out from the renewal. Um, you got to include both customers that renewed and those that didn't um, so that you're comparing them. And I mean, of course, I mean, this is a, you know, this is a, a book on data science and programming methods. You're not in the book. I'm not going to tell you to like compare the customers one by one. You group them <laughs> in cohorts um, and compare the cohorts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but again, it's all cohorts of people who are, in an annual renewal case, it's all cohorts that were three months from their renewal at the time that you measured them. Very interesting. And would you recommend like sort of uh, focusing on this sort of an analysis as opposed to really looking at customers who were still with us uh, in the second year and seeing what behavior they had versus customers that weren't? Like, What would be in your opinion, like the difference between the two views of one sort of just before churning and one actually after churn has occurred, but also focusing really on the behaviors of those that are still around? Yeah, well, you can do different, I mean, additional analyses. For example, you know, you could make do one thing only on year one customers and one thing only on year two customers. I usually don't actually do that. I do include the length of time that someone has been a customer as you know another metric that you can apply this thinking to. And what you'll typically see, um, everyone knows this, is that churn falls over time. Um, well, for most companies, most companies. I should say, yeah. churn decreases over time. Um, and it's not always bad if it doesn't, uh, but that's, an, that's another story. So, I mean, the length of time they've been a, cu a customer can be a separate dimension. 
of this kind of you know analytic process and also yeah you can divide customers into different groups but i usually don't do it because honestly i find that the behaviors itself are the most telling thing and if you have a customer who's you know six months in versus 18 months in if their behaviors are the same in terms of you know the value they're getting from the product it usually doesn't make that much difference that one is you know one year in versus two year in of course the one problem with you know looking at the relationship between how long they've been a customer and churn is it's not particularly actionable in the sense that you can't make someone be a longer term customer other than by waiting and having them not churn, right? Yeah. It is useful. You might see peaks in churn risk. Like um, you might like for a monthly product, even you might see that risk dips in the first year and peaks around one year from sign up. And that can be actionable information that, you know, you should be reaching out to people, you know, right before their one year anniversary, maybe get them in a webinar or a training or anything, you know, but yeah, yeah the length, but the length of time, the relationship between the length of time and churn is something that people obsess over from a financial perspective, because the, the profile of churn versus, you know, subscriber lifetime is, it's important to understand for finance, but it's not actually as helpful for reducing churn, in my opinion. Yeah, so uh, that makes a lot of sense, I think, from the yearly perspective. Uh, when you think about sort of the monthly, uh, and the reason I'm thinking, because we're probably saying the same thing, but just in slightly different ways, is like, when you think about sort of monthly uh, SaaS business, and you have a customer who's been paying you for, like nine consecutive months, which is typically higher than your uh, LTV or your current sort of average lifespan. Um, would looking at their behaviors, so this is what I was talking about in terms of like having somebody who's in quote unquote a successful customer because they've stuck around for a long time and they still continue to pay unusual service. Uh, you would still say, okay, it's much better just to focus on the actual behaviors uh, that users show to churn as opposed to looking at like what successful customers look like as well. Or would you want to be doing both? I'm, I'm also an advocate of simplicity in churn analysis yeah. in the sense that, I mean, the most important thing for most customers is just to make metrics, get great metrics for your customers and get them in front of the the churn fighters, which are like the customer success, the marketers, the product creators, right? They're the ones who are gonna reduce churn. They yep. need good information, which is usually just, you know, the customer metrics. And when you try to get into more advanced stuff, like, oh, the first year customers versus the second year customers, they might not, they might not end up using it. I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, if you're Netflix, you should definitely do a really detailed analysis of everyone every year because you also have a data science team of a thousand people, right? <laughs> but if you're a smaller company and you're the only data person, just focus on getting great customer metrics and don't, don't worry about oh, hair splitting between first year, second year. You know, get the metrics in the hands of the churn fighters, make sure they know what's a healthy level for, the, for those metrics, um, which isn't hard to do. And then let them do what they're going to do because, you know, the marketers and the customer success people, they all operate with different 
different constraints, you know, di and different opportunities depending on the kind of product you're on. So it's hard to generalize yeah. about that. I, I think yeah. for me, the like the thing that just sticks in my brain is like this is because it's sort of like again going back to thing focusing on the problem as opposed to the solution. So like when you're focusing on sort of that churn event and trying to figure out how to avoid it as opposed to focusing on a retained state and yes. how to encourage it. So like, that's why for me, exactly describing is like a little bit counterintuitive in my mind, at least, uh, but I, I'm slowly coming around. Well, to it's to, well, I think, you know, I mean, my, no, but yeah, my approach definitely is to focus on the engaged state, you know, and look at, you know, what, pe what do people look like in that state and try to make customers like that. Okay. So um, that, that makes sense. But then, Maybe let's talk about a real uh, life example now, and it's Wara. So maybe like if you can be a little bit specific in terms of uh, the metrics that you, the good customer metrics that you've come up with for the team and how the different teams are using those metrics. Sure. Um, well, maybe pr probably better not Zora, um, but I can talk about the case studies that are in my book. There's three companies uh, that are agreed to be case studies in the book. Um, one is named Broadly, and it's a, it's a SaaS product for managing uh, a business's online presence. Uh, another one is called Clipfolio, and Clipfolio is a dashboarding tool um, for, for uh, metrics. I definitely recommend you check out uh, Broadly and Clipfolio. And a third company is Versature. They're a telco in Canada, uh, telecommunications over the internet. So let's just take one of those examples, you know, like... Um, say the the clipfolio it's a it's a dashboarding tool so your basic metrics there are going to be just how many how many dashboards you know are they looking at how many dashboards do they have um, but the truth is those are only kind of basic metrics and simple counts of how much people use of things only go so far because you end up with a problem with a company like clipfolio um, or any SaaS product that you have bigger and smaller customers. Yeah. So you have big customers who have, you know, a thousand employees and they buy 50 seats and they are going to look at a lot of dashboards. And then you have small customers that have, you know, five employees and they buy two seats. So, you know, selling by the seat. Um, and so just looking at the number of dashboards or the number of views is limited because you can't tell the difference between you know a small company that looks at a lot of dashboards and a big company that's not using it. So then you get into more advanced metrics and a good example there is license utilization. So that's what you get when you take um, the number of active users and divide it by the number of seats sold. And that's a, an even better metric because you know it applies across these different sizes of companies. Yeah. Um, so to make, you know, more examples like that so, um, of like, you know, a good metric and, a, and an even better metric. Um, well, for example, for the telco versature in the book, you see the more calls customers make, the less they churn, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Now, let me tell you something surprising right here. I'll ask you this one first. If customers pay more in terms of like their monthly fees, uh, do you think they churn less or churn more? Typically I would say churn less. Yes, it's almost always customers who pay more churn less. 
Yeah. And that makes sense, especially if you think about it in the SaaS context where, you know, a B2B customer, if they're paying more, it means they're a bigger customer. They have 100 employees instead of, you know, five. And a bigger customer, a bigger company is going to churn less, well, for several reasons. One, they're less at risk of going out of business. Um, and two, they're going to be more invested, you know, in the product that they bought because they, they're paying more, they had to train more people. Um, due diligence process, security, all sorts of things to get things approved. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So once you get a big customer, they're going to churn um, less. But so that makes a problem with interpreting pricing. So here's where uh, great customer metrics come into pricing. Instead of looking at just the price customers pay in recurring revenue, look at the unit price they pay. So for Versature, that metric would be the cost per call. And that's not a true unit price because the product isn't sold by the call. You know, it's sold with a monthly recurring fee. Um, but you can still calculate the price per call that customers make in that scenario. And there you actually see a really great metric and a strong relationship to churn where the, more, the higher the cost per call, uh, the higher the churn, period. <laughs> so that's yeah. where you actually see the true impact of your pricing. And that's really powerful because I mean that a metric like if you look at you know co a cost per a unit cost metric and see what's the healthy level and what's the not healthy level, it's really powerful across all levels of your customers and it's also really great information for your pricing. We didn't even talk about uh, right sizing pricing, but that's a way to reduce churn. Also, yeah, um, I advise people against discounts for reducing churn. Um, they generally don't work. Um, you use discounts to get people to sign up. And if you're giving out discounts to reduce churn, you're actually, really, you're undermining your pricing. And so, your product and your brand. Like. Yeah. <laughs> but you, but there is such a thing as, how, if you have like a good, better, best pricing structure, or like a basic standard and premium plan, it does absolutely make sense to get people on the right plan. So it's not giving someone a discount if you downgrade them from you know, standard to basic. Um, it is revenue churn, so it's still a form of churn, but it's a lesser form of churn. Uh, but anyway, that a unit cost metric is actually, if there's one thing, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, what's one takeaway that I can apply to my business? Calculate a metric, which is like a unit cost, and it's almost always a very powerful metric for understanding engagement. And I think people really think this way because like, you know, when I'm thinking evaluating my Netflix subscription, I'm really thinking, oh, how many episodes or movies did I la watch last month? And if it's like one, I'm like, damn, that was an expensive movie. But yeah. if it's 50, I'm like, wow, I'm getting a great deal from Netflix, right? For sure. So people really think that way. And I think, I mean, that's, I'm not a psychologist really, even though I, I studied neuroscience, but <laughs> yeah. So definitely unit cost metrics. Um, again, that's like taking the metrics to the next level. It's not a basic metric of usage or what they paid, but it's a, you know, a ratio of what they pay to what they use. Yeah. Um, that's right. really powerful for, for segmenting and it can, can drive action, you know, in multiple, multiple parts of the company from understanding that one metric. Very cool. Uh, I, I love both examples though, as well as sort of like proxies. And uh, you mentioned the point as well, like some businesses have uh, large companies and they have small companies using their service. 
and it's not always easy to distinguish uh, and specifically more specifically when we think about privacy and not having to be able to enrich data and uh, pull in from different sources um, I really love the way that you sort of be able to figure out like are people getting value out of the service and using the idea of licensing versus utilization or in this case as well like sort of uh, the cost per call. I think it's really, really insightful. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I love it too. It's actually it's turned into a really interesting area. Honestly, I had no idea when I first uh, started thinking about churn that I, over the years, you know, find so many interesting angles on it. Absolutely. Yeah, because I think it's like I'm also thinking about in the context. I currently uh, lead the business intelligence team at Hotjar, uh, and for us as well, like we're an all-in-one solution. So we have uh, analytics and feedback tools, and we do things like heat map, session recordings, uh, like polls, surveys, and so forth. Uh, and yet, one, it's not always easy to distinguish behavior, like you say, between like a large and small company when you're just looking at the data and the numbers without having that reference point. Uh, and then two as well is like, how do you establish like, are these uh, companies actually receiving the, the value that they're looking for you? And like, can they justify again, sort of that price? Uh, so this is definitely something I'll take back to the team to sort of try and, and see which uh, areas we can maybe make our metrics more, um, how can you say, like stringent and uh, focused. So next question I want to ask is like, typically, um, I ask this question to everyone on the show and uh, I want to hear your input as well. So um, if you had to start a new job at a new company and uh, you arrive and you see turn and retention is not great um, and uh, the CEO has given you the job to try and help turn things around for the company and he's given you 90 days to try and sort of uh, show some results for the company. What would be your process? Where would you start? And what would be one or two of the first things that you would action? Well, honestly, I don't know if this will be the best, <laughs> the best advertisement for the techniques in my book, <laughs> because the first thing I would do is just look at the backlog of all the things that, you know, you're trying to do. <laughs> so, and when you look at the backlog for a typical product, you might find things like, oh, the Android version doesn't work, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And you have to make sure there's no real bombs in your product that are, you know, just torpedoing it. Um, I mean, the stuff about great customer metrics and making sure everyone's getting value, uh, it assumes that you don't have any really obvious fails going on. But most companies will know about these from QA and, you know, customer feedback and tickets, and they just won't have done something yet so because really always the best way to reduce churn is a great product um, and if you have some a situation where like you know one of your mobile versions doesn't work or something or you know you gotta you gotta deal with that before you worry about uh, i mean no one's gonna get value if they can't even get the app installed right <laughs> absolutely so and first 90 days that's pretty tough to say to actually make a change in churn because it really depends on you know what are those you know what are those product gaps now if you don't have major product gaps um, and you have a significant churn and you have a churn problem then it probably has to do with competition and that's where you need to really then you really do need to get into the metrics and um, I mean, if, if, I, if I found in, say, my first month at this job that there were no serious product gaps or things that 
or just by obvious, you know, killers, um, then I would, you know, turn to the techniques I advise in the book, which is, you know, look at what events are being tracked, you know, make sure they're suitable, um, make, make customer metrics from those events and, you know, see what, see what you learn. And then you can start planning the interventions. Um, it could be, you know, product improvements or changes in the layout, or it could be, you know, things like engagement campaigns. Um, so in that scenario, you might be able to get some results in the first 90 days. If you spend your first 30 days making sure there's no product gaps, your second 30 days um, doing all the data analysis, and maybe in your, your, the last month of your 90 days, you could start doing some targeted campaigns to, to drive some more engagement. Very cool. So that would be my, my 90-day plan. Your 90-day plan. <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's obviously it's not an easy question to answer as well, not having an understanding where the company is at and what sort of product you're dealing with. And like you say, like churn itself is such a nuanced problem. You can't build a model for it because it's not as easy as, say, a spam model that applies to any company in every situation. So uh, definitely multifaceted. So uh, I see we're running up on time. One last question uh, for you. And uh, like, what is one thing that you wish more companies would look at when it comes to churn and retention? I don't know if there's, it's hard to say just one thing, but I mean, the overall theme is definitely to look at it as not, you know, reducing the churn, but increasing the engagement and value. Um, and so if you wanted to say one thing, I, I guess I'd go back to my, you know, you know, unit cost metric, because that's really going to separate, you know, who's finding the value and who's not um, for any product with a price, you know, that is. So, I mean, all in general, churn fighting techniques apply to free products, too. Um, yeah. You don't have to have a subscription. But if you are on a recurring payment plan, uh, then definitely, I mean, the unit cost metric as, as a way to really see, you know, who's getting value. Absolutely. And I think even uh, on free products that you're still paying a price uh, and you're paying it with your time uh, typically. So, or your eyes. Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So uh, very, very good, uh, Carl. I really, really appreciate having you on the show today. And once again, for the listeners, uh, Carl is going to be uh, giving away five copies uh, for, for his book, Fighting Churn with Data. Uh, so you'll hear some of the techniques he discussed today and a lot more as well with that. So once again, uh, make sure to share this episode on Twitter and we'll be sure to grab uh, your name and add it to the draw, uh, which will be announced uh, two weeks from today's air date. Uh, and uh, five lucky people will get a copy of his book. So, uh, Carl, really, really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining today. Um, maybe you want to just leave us with final thoughts and how the listeners can keep up to date with your work. Uh, well, one thing I just want to point out so no one, you know, feels like they've been misled is the book is not actually complete. Um, there's currently four chapters in an ebook. And if you, if you do get one of the ebooks, you'll get the four chapters that are available now. The fifth is coming out soon. And then you'll get around one chapter a month, um, in an ebook. And then the book will be, uh, the pub, the, the hard copies will come out. Uh, we're targeting June of next year, um, but the book is about eighty percent written at this point. But you know, publishing you know hard copies takes a lot longer <laughs> than making the ebooks. Um, sure. And also, par parting thoughts: I do have um, a blog website. It's just fightchurnwithdata.com, and that's where there's you know there's like a video of a conference talk.
talk I gave and some blog posts and you know di different resources um, that I found. In fact, you'll be this, there will be a link to this podcast by the time you look at it. <laughs> so yeah. fightshernwithdata.com is is the website to follow up. Excellent. Uh, yeah, and sorry, I, it's good that you pointed it out. I th I've always found it very interesting as well. So it's Manning Publications, and you're able to launch a book early, get some feedback from uh, like sort of your beta readers <laughs> to some extent. Uh, but uh, again, like the, the content itself, uh, like Carl said, is 80% there. Uh, and you will at the end as well have access to that book. So uh, thank you so much again for joining. And thanks for sharing uh, with the listeners. Wish you the best of luck now in the completion of the book. and. Uh, your endeavors going forward. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Will. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review, as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.